Today we're going to look at a story I'm sure is familiar. If I had to give the title, the clay in the master's hand. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just praise and thank you, Father, right now for the privilege, Father. Hallelujah. Awesome privilege, Father, to come before your throne of grace, Father. And right now, Father, we ask you to speak to us through your word, to feed us supernaturally, Father, to enable us, Father, to grow, hallelujah, more and more in your likeness. We praise and thank you right now, Father, that your word would be health to all of our flesh, that it would guide us, that it would comfort us, that it would give us peace, Father, that it would give us wisdom from on high. And we thank you, praise your Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so as we're looking at this, we're talking about clay in the master's hand. And one of the key words we see here in here is that God instructed Jeremiah the prophet to go down to the potter's house. And then it goes further, and it talks about the potter working clay on a wheel, which is spinning around. Amen? That word potter is, in the underlying Hebrew, is one who determines or makes a resolution regarding something's purpose. And here's the part we don't like. The potter not only envisions something that he wants to make out of that clay, but as it goes through the process of rotating around, and he sees that there's different defects in that, in that clay, he molds it. And the part that we don't sometimes like as God molds us is that the word talks about him squeezing something. Amen. We like the easy times in God where things are going smooth and it's all hunky-dory and there's a silver uh, lining to every cloud. But when God gets us into those places where he starts to squeeze us, amen, sometimes we don't like that because we might think that I want to be squeezed a certain way. Or maybe I only want to be squeezed in this area of my life and God, make sure you leave that part alone. And sometimes we envision ourselves as being something differently than what God might want us to be. So when he's squeezing us, Amen. Into this thing as opposed to that, we're trying to somehow get out of his hands or, you know, sometimes like with a clay, you'll squeeze something, a little bit of the residue will flow between the cracks of the fingers. We try to remanufacture ourselves to be likened in another pattern. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's why it's sometimes uncomfortable. But as we see here, the potter is somebody that determines and makes a resolution regarding something's purpose. And that's good because sometimes we don't know exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we're here or there. But yet the whole time, God is not arbitrarily or randomly trying to mold us into something, nor is the th are the things working out in our life done by coincidence, but everything that God is doing is done for a certain purpose. So we may not necessarily like it, we may not necessarily understand it, but God is squeezing us with a purpose. Amen? 
See, a lot of times we think, why don't he just stay out of my business? Or won't he leave me alone? Or God, why are you always pressing on me when everybody else gets the easy road? But yet God is squeezing us because he says, well, as I'm squeezing you, I'm trying to form, fashion, equip you and shape you so that you fit into a certain place at the proper time. Amen. I was actually reading this novel the other, um, the other day. It's a spy novel, International Intrigue. And you got this one scene where the spy is trying to expose people that have kidnapped the president. And the very people that he went to betrayed him and now trying to snuff out his life. And as he's running to this one place, he tries to um, get through an exit as all these people are chasing him down, trying to take his life. And he gets to this one spot. And in preparation, before he got to this day, he had a number of keys. So as these people are running after him, firing gun shots and stuff like that, he gets to this one place and he sticks the key in and he's turning it and turning it and turning it. And the lock won't turn. And he's like, oh, Lord, I'm within minutes of my life. I got to get out of here. But then he pressed down a little bit more, gave it a little English. And next thing you know, that thing fit right in there. It turned the lock and he went to where he needed to go to be safe. Amen. See, sometimes God's going to squeeze us. We may not like the angle. Why have you shaped me this? Why are you doing this? Why are you squeezing me here in this area that I don't want to deal with right now? But do you realize that sometimes that's the very thing you need to keep you stable, to keep you alive? Amen. To get you through that next wall that's blocking you to the other side. That squeezing is good. Amen. Hallelujah. So God makes a resolution. Once again, it's not a random thing. God's not just squeezing you because it's something he needs to do. Nor is God squeezing you because, oh, he just likes to spoil all my fun. God is squeezing you, as we see here, because he's made a resolution. I have something in my mind that I want you to do or fulfill, and I'm squeezing you to prepare you to be properly positioned and shaped for the thing that I've called you to, in advance of you even getting there. Amen? Hallelujah. Then it talks about he wrought a work on the wheels. And when I was looking at the wrought the work, I was thinking about, okay, well, he's just manufacturing something that may put be placed on a shelf, be placed over here where you can look at it, a cabinet, something like that. But that word work refers to deputyship. Amen? Deputyship. Just think about that. God wants to work something in you. He might have to squeeze some stuff out of you, but as he's squeezing and molding and refining you, he's also trying to put a badge of authority on you. I deputize you, amen, so that you can go out and serve me. Just think about that. God wants to put some authority into your life that he not only launches you into something, but you're not going out there like the Keystone Cop. He's placing a badge on you that gives you the authority to serve his kingdom, amen? God wants to deputize you. It also talks about ministry, employment, or work as a result of labor. Hallelujah. God's not just doing the work of molding and refining you so you could just sit there idle. No, he's doing it because he has a purpose, a plan, and something that he wants to be performed in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. And then finally, it talks about making a vessel. And the thing that I like about it is that the vessel, the initial vessel, was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. That vessel means something prepared, an implement, a utensil, an apparatus, a weapon, artillery, or armor bearer. So God has deemed in his mind that he wants to form and fashion you, 
but he's not doing it once again. So we just live out our lives in some kind of dismal or um, unfulfilled purpose. God says, I want to use you. Amen. Some cases as an implement, some cases as a utensil or tool that will help something be accomplished. Sometimes as a weapon, God might put you out there somewhere on the offensive where the forces of darkness are trying to stop something from happening. And yet God said, I'm going to unleash you as a weapon of mass destruction in the kingdom of darkness to ensure that the purpose plans of God are fulfilled in the life of those people that you're influencing. Amen. So God is basically entrusting you to go out and do something um, that will honor his kingdom. My question, though, as we look at the, the potter. And the wheel. One of the things you have to realize is that the potter was not just molding and shaping um, clay on a wheel, but the whole time he's doing this process, the wheel is spinning. Amen? It's revolving around. Some of the debris and the, the lumps are flying off as he's going through this process. I don't know if you've ever seen a potter doing it, but as you're doing things, sometimes the potter will squeeze the clay with his hand. Sometimes he'll take, you know, a, a level instrument, a, something straight, and he'll put it along there. You'll see, like, lines being cut into it or different shapes coming. I mean, God's molding and shaping and refining and doing stuff in us. And as we, he's doing this, though, this wheel is spinning around and spinning around and spinning around. And as I looked at that wheel, one of the things you see in the underlying Hebrew is that it's not just a wheel that's spinning around, but it talks about not only a potter's wheel, but it also talks about it being a midwife's stool. Amen? Something's being birthed. Amen? Y'all know the mid. I mean, midwife is not something that's hugely used in this day and age. It's starting to, like, pick up a little bit. In this day and age. But back in the day that this was written, I mean, everybody had midwives. When you, a woman was about to give birth, they're like, get the midwife. And she would come in and she'd say, you know, boil some water, get some blankets, get some rags. She would sit there in anticipation of a baby coming forth. And if need be, she would help bring along the process in a safe and healthy and maybe more expedient manner than somebody that didn't know what they were doing. So in other words, you would call on the midwife because she was trained to make sure the thing that was intended to come forth would be birthed and birthed safely. So God talks about himself being a midwife, I mean, our potter in our lives. So as he's shaping us, God is envisioning birthing something forth out of your life. So we are not just junk. We are not just thrown away. We're not just something that's randomly out there. I heard a testimony uh, a few weeks ago, and, and it really shocked me. I was like, wow, I never knew that. Actually, the person that said it didn't never know it. Uh, I was looking at um, something on YouTube, and I was looking at um, Fred Hammond and how he had this new group coming forth, United Tenors. And as I was listening to different clips, and I watched videos of recording sessions as they were preparing for it, and they had some more videos where they were just talking about the excitement of the record being released. And then all of a sudden, just, there was this one clip where it was talking about him being interviewed. Um, I think it was both a web broadcast and a radio broadcast. And all of a sudden, Fred Hammond said, there's something I just found out. That, 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 sh- that shook me. And, and they're like, what is it? He said, I found out that my mom tried to abort me twice. And, you know, he's like, not once, twice. Just think about this. This re- award-winning artist who has touched the planet two attempts to snuff out his life. Amen? But think about that. God had a sovereign plan 
for him to come forth and reach the world for the gospel. So even when the mother herself said, I was going to abort him, God stood in the gap as the true midwife of what was to be brought forth, and he ensured a safe delivery. Amen? Hallelujah. So you never know. Sometimes things may seem like they haven't worked out right in our lives. Sometimes it seems that we're suffering and we're facing things that we shouldn't have to bear. But in his case, or in the case of his mother, she felt squeezed in the sense that she had to do something. And when it failed, she continued on the process afterwards, raised him up, and now he's the man that we all, you know, love in terms of his music. So God is the great potter. God is the great midwife. God is the one that truly birthed forth the things that need to occur. So like I said, I don't believe there's a coincidence that God uses an illustration of us being clay on the will of a potter being molded. And as I look at this, uh, one of the things that really comes to mind is that if we really look at our lives and look back over our life experiences, we'll find that instead of our life being a continuous series of new events, a lot of times it seems that we kind of come back to the same stuff. Amen? Different flavors, different angles. The situation might not be exactly the same, but boy, does this seem familiar. And if you really look at it, it's cycles on the wheel. <laughs> Amen? It revolves back around. It's just like in the old day. I mean, the young kids don't understand this, but when, well, they've probably seen it, but you look at the old record player, and you would drop that needle down. And that 45 or 33 and a third or, you know, for us people that went to the clubs, that, that extended version, it would rotate around that vinyl, amen, and that needle would be on the record running through the grooves. But even though it was going through the grooves and it would go from one end of the record all the way to the inner part where the, the, the center thing put on that little stem or whatever you call it, you found that even though the same exact point wasn't hit with every revolution, it still came to a point parallel to where you were previously on that record. So what the thing that I look at in terms of that is each one of us are going through various phases of our lives. We don't have to be defeated or discouraged because things rotate around. What we need to do is ask ourselves, what cycle am I in? What phase am I, am I in? What part of my life are, am I going through that even though I may think I arrived before and I finished the process and God molded and refined me and I've graduated, maybe, quite, quite maybe, God recycles things around because on the first pass, we couldn't handle it all, so we need to go through it again. But it's not because you failed or you were defeated or you were in sin or you were tempted or you went off track. It might just be that you've come around full circle, and God says, it's time to go through another phase of refinement. Amen? Hallelujah. So we don't have to be frustrated because that thing keeps seeming like it's rearing its ugly head. Maybe it's just another cycle that you got to go through. Amen? Hallelujah. So that reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace <laughs> and a time to refrain from embracing. Just thought of something. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So we see here there's different cycles in life. Amen. You ain't, you ain't going to always be on the side of planning. Sometimes you got to reap what you planted. You're not always going to be in a time of peace. Sometimes you got to go to war. Sometimes you're going to be in a time of total clarity. Sometimes you'll be in a cycle of, I don't know what the heck is going on. I know I've been there. <laughs> There's different times, different cycles. Amen. But the thing I like about this is that there's a season for everything in life. And during the times where we're in the good cycles, we could say, wow, thank God that I'm here. I appreciate it. And as I look back on the hard times, wow, I'm really going to enjoy this cycle that God has me in. And then during the bad cycles, we could say, hey, I might be on a bad cycle now. But wait a minute. I remember the God that had me on the good cycle, and that encourages me in the fact that I'm going to get to the good cycle again. So in other words, we're not going to get too comfortable on any side. During the times that we're on the good side, we appreciate the goodness of God that we're in that period. And during the bad times, we appreciate the fact that the same God that had me in the good times will get me back there again. Amen? Hallelujah. It's different cycles of life. So we may have periods of rest and peace. But during all cycles, we need to appreciate what God has done, what God is doing. And if there's any kind of molding and refining that he's doing us right now, instead of fighting against it, instead, God, show me what I need to change. God, show me the things that need to be refined. God, if something needs to be taken out of me, if I have a lump that's causing me to look defective or function defectively. Amen. God, go ahead and strip it away. See, the problem with us a lot of times is that God is trying to reshape and mold and refine and pull out the lumps. And we're sitting here, I want my lump. <laughs> uh, I'm keeping that one. And see, the clay doesn't know that it looks defective. You don't know. <laughs> you think I look good. It's always the people outside looking in that can observe and know that you're marred. And even more so, if somebody is the person that created you and knows why you are the way you are, how are you going to tell the person that I'm not malformed? You don't know. You're on the inside <laughs> trying to look inside. <laughs> but you need the person on the outside looking in to say, no, 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 that's messing you up. <laughs> One of the um, former pastors said a story one day that just came to mind. And he talked about the fact that, you know, during the 80s, he was going to the club. And, you know, he had his afro and his, his bell bottoms and his high, you know, the, those, I forget to call them. The, you know, the high shoes, high heel shoes, the platforms that people were wearing. So he said he went to the club one night. You know, he was a handsome young man, but he went to the club one night. And he said, you know, he just knew he was cool, looking good, had his aftershave on and, you know, the, the, probably the, the, you know, the, the Saturday Night Live shirt with the big lapels and the bell bottoms. And, you know, I'm cool, brothers. And he said he was just cool all night. And nobody could tell him nothing. He's like, I'm cool. So he said one, at one point in the club, he had to take a bathroom break. So he went into the bathroom cool. 
And he came out of the bathroom cool. <laughs> and he says he came out, everybody was looking, and people started laughing. And he's like, why are people laughing? Because I'm cool. And he said, next thing you know, somebody's like, brother, you're trailing toilet paper on your shoes. <laughs> so we think we're cool, but sometimes we're trailing something that everybody else is laughing at. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Your shoes are telling on you, man. We know why you went to the bathroom. <laughs> but he's cool <laughs> from his perspective. And that's how it is in life. Sometimes we just think we all figured out and got it grown and we're mature and we got this right now. And everybody else is like, no, no, no. You trailing something. And see, God is merciful enough that he'll try to clean it up before everybody else is like <laughs> laughing at you. But here we're trying to fight God and tell him, no, 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 I'm fine. Get him right. Get her right. I'm fine. And all the time, God is like, uh-uh, you trailing toilet paper. <laughs> oh, Lord. So God is so good. Amen. I want to look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And see, the reason I, um, the Lord led me to use this one is that we go through different cycles and sometimes we think, I've hit this cycle one time too many, and it just wore me down. I just can't take it anymore. White flag of surrender, end of story, I am done. Amen? But the thing I like about God being our potter, he says, oh, no, 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 you are not done. Because you serve a God who, first of all, formed and fashioned you on that will. And he says, uh, let me get to the, the end of all this debating over what your life is going to be and what you're able to do. He said, let me remind you of something. I am the one who has declared the end from the beginning. Amen? So as long as you're walking in obedience to me, nobody's going to shipwreck, overcome, dismiss, wreck, or ruin what I plan and purpose for your life. Because he said, I'm a God that declares the end from the beginning. And he says, my counsel shall stand. So if I figured out this is what I want you to be and what I want you to do, ain't nobody going to argue, debate, and say, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. I have purposed it. I have planned it. I have resolved that this is what I want for your life. And I'm going to put the things in place that will make it happen. So all we have to do is yield to the direction of the Lord. And he will ensure that our purposes are fulfilled. I like the fact that it talks about he has declared the end from the beginning. And that's something that's very hard for people like us. We're mortal. We're finite. A little over 100 years. That's lengthy in, in our day and age. 80, 90 years old, you know, you're an older person. Amen? So we think so finite that it's hard for us to grasp that, especially when we can't figure out tomorrow, let alone 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, a lifetime ahead. It's very hard for us to understand and grasp somebody declaring the end from the beginning and making sure all those things come into place. Like, how do you do that? And not only do that, but do that for billions and billions of people who have lived upon the face of the earth. How in the world can you possibly do that? 
But the thing that I can really illustrate to make it plain for us to understand is that we do declaring the end from the beginning all the time. You ever written a, a report for work of a project that you want to fulfill? Well, if you've written a report correctly, you declare the end before the beginning. If it's a report that says, here's what I think we need to do, here's the steps in it, and here's how to fulfill it, you declare the end from the beginning. Amen? Now, <laughs> getting through it with us, sometimes projects fail. Um, another example is a baker making a cake. You declare the end from the beginning. What kind of cake do I want? Vanilla cake with chocolate icing? Well, you don't get the ingredients to make a strawberry cake or a red velvet cake. You get the ingredients to make a vanilla cake with chocolate icing. And then you plan it out. I need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, sugar, flour, blah, 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 icing. Mix it all together, bake it in the oven. Everything goes fine. What you declared from before the beginning it comes forth at the end, and it comes out exactly how you planned it. If you're a good cook. <laughs> Sometimes cakes fall. <laughs> Stuff happens. So, <laughs> But that's the, that's the thing, though. You still declared the end before the beginning. In, our, in all of our imperfections, things don't always come to pass as we declare them. So in our case, sometimes things fail. But God, who is infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, he knows all the things he needs. He knows all the obstacles we're going to face. He knows all the different things that could come and enter in, that can interfere with the end being fulfilled. And thank God if we obey him and yield to him, he can get us to the end that he had planned for our lives. See, the only thing that can really shipwreck you in terms of reaching the fulfillment that God has for your life is me, myself, and I. Amen? Devil can't do it. Other people can't do it. The only one that will keep you from fulfilling God's envisioned destiny for you is you. Because God's not going to overrule your will. I mean, there's times where God will throw you in the belly of a well and say, no, you're going to do that. There's times where God will kindle his wrath against you and say, no, you are going to go to Egypt to deliver those people. There are times where God will overstep your will and say, no, you are going to do that. But a lot of times God will say, here's what I envision for your life, and you have to say yes to it. So at the end of the day, if you don't fulfill the calling on your life, you really can't blame anybody but yourself because God not only declared the end, but he makes sure everything you need to get you there, whether it's inner skills, inner gifting, people connected to you to help propel you on your journey, supplies and things like that, everything you need, God puts in place so that it will be fulfilled. Amen? Hallelujah. Because he sees the end before the beginning. Thank God. So no matter how difficult our situations may be, nothing is going to prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled as long as we walk in obedience to him. Thank God for that. God has a vision for our lives. We may not have a vision. I mean, there's so many people lost in this day and age, like, oh, my life is meaningless. Oh, it's not amounting to anything. Well, the answer to that riddle is very easy. Go to God. Amen. He'll tell you what you need to be. He'll tell you what you need to do. He'll tell you where you need to go. God is the answer and the remedy to all things. So like I said earlier, God is trying to equip and deputize you. Equip and deputize. See in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's awesome. We are God's workmanship. You know, underlying Greek calls us his product, his fabric. So you are a product of God. Amen. God has created, formed, and fashioned you. God sees something priceless in you. Amen. Nobody else may appreciate you. Nobody else may say that you're worth anything or will amount to anything. But God says, you are my product. You are my fabric. You are chosen in the beloved. And also, it says that he is, we are his workmanship, that he is ordained, that we should walk in them. That word ordained means to fit up in advance. To fit up in advance. In other words, before you get to the thing that God wants to fulfill in you, he's already equipped or fit or formed and fashioned you so that you will fit completely into what he created you for. Amen? And a lot of times as you're doing it, you'll get that sense in your spirit that, ah, wow, I feel energized. I feel edified when I'm doing that thing which I'm called to. Amen? When a writer is writing... He's, at, he's in love with what he's doing. When a poet is doing poetry, they're in love with what they're doing. When a singer is singing, they're in their element, as people say. Amen? They're in a zone. <laughs> I remember Michael Jordan said that before. And I, as a basketball player, I had that feeling before, too. Like, I would have certain games where I would play, and I was like, it feels like I'm in such a zone that I can throw the ball like this from half court, and it'll go in. I just have one of those days where I can't miss. I'm in the zone. And it's like that when we are in our fulfillment and in our purpose in God. Like when we're in doing what God has called us to do, we are in our zone. Wow, I love this. I can't miss. I can't miss. I'm in the zone. <laughs> we are his workmanship. Just think about that. And that's such an incredible thing right there. We are God's workmanship. You look back in the book of Genesis. Let there be light. God spoke forth light. Let there be, you know, a, a planetary body with air and water and plants and birds. And, I mean, plants and animals and birds and all these different things. And God just spoke those things in existence. But then it says that God formed man from the dust of the earth. And it talks about, in that forming, it talks about he manufactured and he sculpted man. And it says when God breathed into him, he became a living soul. That word breathed is like... It's, it's an underlying Hebrew word that talks about him breathing with a passion. God didn't just say, there you go, Adam. No, so God did it with, with passion. He had love. He has a, a sense of, like, ah, I love what I'm doing right here in terms of the manufacture of this creation. This is not the lion, the tiger, the bear. Amen. This is man. Amen. Made in my likeness. Amen. That I can fellowship with. That I can, you know, come down during a cool day and, 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 and communicate what's going on today. So when he breathed into Adam, you know, he's just like, because I love this thing I'm creating. Amen. The greatest thing in all of creation. So he spoke everything else into existence. But when it came to us, he's like, special. This is a special one. I got to do this one a little bit different than everybody else. We've got to pull those ears out. Shape that ear, get a nice little cute nose. And <clears throat> I'm giving him a personality. He's not going to be this little robot. So, oh, you know what? I'll put some muscles here so he can smile when he's pleased. See, that's what God did in you and I. 
That's why, you know, animals, you know, we see different things. We see certain traits that are kind of like, you know, personality in terms of dogs and cats and things like that. But you never see anything like you see in a human being. Workmanship. You know, workmanship. It's an incredible thing. I'm about 6'2", yet I have miles and miles of veins inside of my body. How in the world would he do that? That don't make no sense. I'm driving down my road, down the, down the road in my car, several miles, or as I'm exercising, I'm running a mile. It's like, you can appreciate how long one mile is. We got miles of veins inside a tiny shell. How in the world did he do that? But he did it. Why? It's workmanship. Amen? The, the universe's greatest computer. The universe's greatest computer. It's not by Dell. It's not by Microsoft. It's not by Intel. God, I'm going to create a computer. Involuntary movements, the ability to reason. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, him, I'm creative. I'll make him creative. Okay, give him the ability to create. Wait a minute. He needs to calculate when he's building things how big this is. Okay, I'll give him mathematical capabilities. Oh, somebody's going through something, struggling. Oh, I got to give him compassion. Oh, well, when they make something, it doesn't need to be all dumpy looking. It needs to look good. I'll give him creative and artistic capabilities. Oh, at some point, they're going to fall and people are going to need to be healed. I'll give him the ability to reason and to make medical diagnoses. It's all these different things that God put in your head. And here's the thing. Even before you get to the creative and emotional stuff, your brain processes over 153 million calculations per second just to keep this body running. Whew. Workmanship. You're God's workmanship. So how can we say, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm nothing special? Nothing important about me. I'm just filthy rags, a mess, just a, something to be discarded. How can we ever say that when the God of the universe himself, out of all the things he created, he saw uniquely that I want man to have all these capabilities. And I truly believe that he created Adam. He saw not only Adam, but he saw everybody that was yet to be born. Amen? And we can even see that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's in the book of Genesis where he talks about covenants. He talks about, I think it was um, Isaac and Jacob being in the loins of his father Abraham when he made covenant. It talked about him making covenant, but he said he made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even as they were in the loins of their father. I ain't trying to get too biological. Y'all know what that means. <laughs> They were still inside him. Y'all know how. And he said, I made covenant with not only the man I cut covenant with, he said, I made covenant with them even while they were still in his loins. You ain't even born yet, and God makes covenant with you. So you think you're not incredible workmanship in God? Before you can even be formed in fashion, before the egg is even, is even impregnated or fertilized, God says, I see you, I have a plan and purpose for you, and I'm already speaking and moving things into place that you could come out and have a fulfilling life. Incredible workmanship. Incredible. Hallelujah. So we see here, ordained and fit in advance. Before you even form, God says, I want this one to be the doctor. I put all the attributes of a doctor in them. I want this one to be a mathematician. Give them all the attributes. A painter, amen, all the attributes. All the different things you need so that you will fit in advance. God puts all the traits within you that will enable you to get there. And I'm here to say today, too, that not only the good things and not only the, the, the attributes and the gifts, but even the warfare we experience. God ain't surprised. 
This one's going to go through the warfare of a physical disease. I'll place within him or her all the attributes to, be, to endure and still praise me and glorify me and do the work of the ministry. That one is going to go through financial ruin. I'll put within them all the things to rise up out of that and then get themselves back up financially stable so it'll be a testimony to other people. Even the warfare, I believe, that God has placed within us in advance everything we need to get through it and come through it flourishing. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, it talked about on the potter's wheel that it was marred in the eyes of the potter, so he made it another vessel that was meat for use. So the question I have for all of us today is, are you still marred? Are you still marred? The word marred means to be ruined, destroyed, or cast off. So are you still ruined, destroyed, and cast off? It's nothing that God desires for you because we see here in our text scripture that the vessel was marred in the eyes of the potter, so he was refining it so that it would no longer be marred and would be a, mess, a vessel that is meet for good works. So if we're marred, we have to ask ourselves, why am I still marred? Amen? That's not God's desire. It's not the potter's desire. So why am I still ruined, destroyed, and cast off? And we'll see an example. Um, I will skip that. Um, John 5, 2 through 8. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these laid a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the trouble in the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. So we see in this situation that a man was lame and had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. But yet Jesus comes to him and basically asks what is a really, really rude question. <laughs> Will you be made whole? How are you going to tell somebody that's crippled for 38 years, do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be whole, healed? That's, I mean, if you really look at that, how rude can you be? Of course. I mean, the man's probably thinking at first, what a stupid and ignorant question. How are you going to ask me that when I'm at a pool that is associated with healing. But see, Jesus, being the discerning person that he was, he said, everybody that says they want to be healed don't necessarily want to be healed. And be quite, quite honest, 38 years, if that had been me, and I had been beat in line the first year, the second year, or whatever, the, the months, quarterly, whatever, the angel came to touch the pool. Come on, 38 years? At some point, either I'm hiring somebody to block everybody off so I can get in. I'm going to say, hey, somebody carry me there, put me to the side. As soon as that angel hits, I'm rolling over. Something. 38 years. That's almost four decades. People, children have been born and now are having children in 38 years. And yet this man never got into the pool. 
So when Jesus asked him, will you be made whole? He's not asking him a question to be rude. He's basically asking him a question like, look, let's be honest, bro. Do you really want it? Because sometimes there's a price to pay to be totally whole. You can't expect everybody to hold your hand and stroke your boo-boo. You can't expect everybody to meet your needs on a daily basis. Part of being whole, as we see here, is once you get whole, you got to get up, take your own bed, and you got to start fending or walking for yourself. So Jesus, you know, hit the man where he lived. He said, do you really want to be made whole, or do you want to keep living off of other people and dependent on, on other people? Amen? And that's a question that he could ask us today. You know, we are, <clears throat> some of us are marred on the potter's wheel. Do we really, really want to be made whole? You know, I've seen situations over the years. Uh, I remember one time years ago, this is just coming to mind. We were dealing with somebody who was um, in an in a abusive relationship, verbally abusive, and then it became physically abusive. And at one point, we're, we're ministering to her and, and counseling, and it gets to the point where um, he basically, he was struggling in his own self, in his sexuality. So he left her for a man. But at one point, she was just like, I want him now. I, I still want him. And we're just like, but he don't want you for any way, shape, or form. And he's going to keep verbally and physically abusing him. But it's like she was so empty and insecure herself. She's like, I'd rather be in an abusive, verbally and physical, abusive verbal and physical relationship than to be alone. Amen. So we're not justifying advocating divorce, but when a man is saying, like, I don't even like women, so that part of our marriage is totally over, and now I'm physically and verbally abusing you, how bad do you want to keep getting beat up, you know, as opposed to getting whole? And, you know, the guy ended up leaving her anyway, so it wasn't a choice of hers, and then later on, uh, we kind of lost track with her for a while, but then... She started getting herself right spiritually, and then later on, the Lord opened up the door where she met another man, and she's just like, wow, I can't believe years ago that I would have kept tolerating that. Amen? So everybody that is, is bruised and marred, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, or whatever, they don't necessarily want to be healed. You know, sometimes it's easier. Instead of facing the pain of going out to something new, some people would rather stay in the hell that they're in because at least I know it. If I go out there, it's a total unknown. I don't know what I will face. But see, Jesus, even if sometimes we had to deal with pain, God wants us to be healed. You know, I had surgery years ago. When I first had the surgery, um, immediately after, they asked me, what was your pain threshold on a scale of 1 to 10? And I said, zero. And then they came back to me later, and they said, what's your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? I was like, Zero. And they kept asking me. And I said, well, the reality is, I said, I've always had a, pain, a high pain threshold. So I said, I can't say I'm not experiencing any pain, but it's nothing I can't deal with. Because I have, you know, so I said, somebody else may be, be, be like, I need medicine. I said, me, I don't feel I need it. So I'm fine. So anyway, I went and they gave me um, medicine for bladder spasms and things like that. And they gave me Percocet. I wasn't taking the per any of the medicine and stuff like that. Um, I think I initially took the bladder spasm stuff, but I stopped taking it because I seemed to be fine after a few days. So anyway, this one night, um, all of a sudden, I start feeling these pains. I start feeling this pushing sensation in my abdomen. And it went from that to finally got to the point, like me, I got a high pain threshold, and I'm a martial artist, so I was used to, like, hitting and being hit. 
I was on the floor, and I'm, like, pounding the floor in pain. And Pam's like, I have never seen you grunt from pain. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 15. I mean, it, it literally, y'all seen that movie Aliens back in the day? It literally felt like the alien was pushing through my stomach and about to rip out. And I literally could look at my stomach and see it rising with the spasm. So I never felt anything like that. But see, the thing is, even though I went through the worst pain in my life, looking back, I'm, I'm still happy I dealt with the pain because I am now 100% healed. See, I think sometimes we think, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I think sometimes we think, well, I want to be healed, but I don't want to deal with the pain. Sometimes you've got to deal with the pain. And if that's what it takes to get you healed, sometimes it's better to deal with the pain now. Because, see, in my case, if I hadn't dealt with the pain, I, could, I might not be here now or five years from now. Because the thing that was treated at the time could have spread and now be something that I can't deal with. So sometimes you've got to deal with the pain now, too, because it's cancerous to your life and it will take you out early. Amen? Hallelujah. So God's not trying to ruin you. He's trying, not trying to give you a hard time. He's not trying to back you into a corner and, well, why does everybody else live so easy and God's always stepping on my neck? No, he's not trying to mess you up. He's trying to purge that mess out of you. Amen? And he's trying to purge you because, as we use the illustration of the potter with the clay and the will, he's trying to make something beautiful out of you. Amen? So he's not doing it for your harm. He's doing it for your good. I like Ezekiel 33. I mean, 36, 33 through 36, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I have cleansed you from all your iniquities, hallelujah, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it, shall, it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. Praise the Lord. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, buildeth the ruined placeth and plant that, that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. So God says he will rebuild the ruined places. Amen. The things that are desolate will become like the Garden of Eden. Isn't that wonderful? That no matter how the world system, people, the economy, your childhood, no matter how these different things may have des- devastated your life, God says he wants to turn things around for his glory, and he wants to bring something beautiful out of you. Amen? You might have been a garden full of weeds. God wants to make you a beautiful rose garden or whatever your flower <laughs> goes along your taste. You might have been an etch-a-sketch, paint-by-numbers <laughs> picture before. God wants to make you a masterpiece in the Art Museum of Philadelphia. Amen? God wants to make you incredible. And see, the thing is, a lot of people in life will speak down to you, speak negative, talk about you like a dog, refuse to see how you may have changed over the years. We serve a God that the whole time, even through all our shortcomings and our fallings, the whole time, all God sees is the beautiful thing he wants you to be. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God just sees the beauty. That doesn't mean he won't chastise you, he won't reprove you, he won't pull the lumps out. But the whole time he's doing it, he's like, I'm seeing what? I declare the end from the beginning. And that's how he sees you. We see that in the book of Judges, chapter 6, with Gideon. You know, he said, ho, mighty men of valor. Gideon's like, who? 
He's like, you mighty man of valor. He's like, I'm the least of least of my brethren. And my family in Manasseh is the least in town. And God was like, okay, well, all right, I'll go find somebody else. He said, no, you will smite the Midianites as one man. See, God always sees where he's taking you. He don't see where you're at right now. We see that over and over again. Elisha beats the 450 prophets of Baal. He's sitting under the tree. He's like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm the only one left. And that woman Jezebel is out to take my life. And God's like, get up. You're going to go anoint a king. See, God sees where he's taking you and what he's going to do through you. And he will chastise you. And sometimes he will say, get up. But he still sees where he's taking you. Amen. Hallelujah. He always sees where he's taking you. So the question we have to ask ourselves, can the Lord mold you? Can the Lord mold you? We see that we're on the wheel. We're clay in the hand of the potter. We're on a wheel that cycles around. And yet we saw in a text scripture that is basically posing a question like, you know, God says you're, you're clay in the hand of the potter. But can I, he said, can I mold Israel? Amen. Because he said, even as the clay is in the hand of the potter, can I do this in the life of Israel? And I believe God is still asking that question today to you and I. Can I mold you? Amen. He's capable of doing whatever he wants, but he wants you to be willing to yield to the molding process that he wants to take you through. Romans 9, 20 through 24. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So we see here, O man, who art thou that replies against God and say, to the one who was forming you, why have you made me thus? If we're doing that, basically God's saying, like, you're arguing against the potter. You're clay on the wheel, and the whole time the potter's trying to mold you, you're arguing with the potter. saying, no, 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 don't squeeze me in that direction. Don't put that thing there to put that line. You know, I want you to shape me like a vase instead of, a, you know, a pot before you put me in the oven to harden me and paint me. I'm going to tell you what you need to make. I mean, if we saw, if we, you went to a, a art, um, a place where they do art and stuff like that, sculptures and paintings and things like that, if we went there and we saw somebody get a square lump of clay, take it in hand, start going like that, and all of a sudden the clay is like, get off me. <clears throat> no, you can't bend me that way. Why are you breaking off that piece? You saw the clay arguing with the thing, be like, what in the world? <laughs> clay, they know what they're trying to make. Leave, leave them alone and let them make it. But yet we argue with our potter all the time. Why did you make me thus? Why am I short? Why am I tall? Why am I skinny? Why do I have freckles? Why do I this and that and all the different things? Why I got straight hair? Why I got curly hair? Why does that person got curly hair and I want curly hair and I got straight hair? Why do I have freckles? I mean, we say all these different things to the Lord. You know, we're so busy trying to massage and adjust and tweak and squeeze ourselves and the whole time, he's like, I made you a certain way for a certain reason. Amen? So who are we to say that? And who are we to let other people say that to us as well? 
You know, somebody trying to define you and pigeonhole you and make you what they envision you to be, you need to say, no, I got to do what God has called me to do and be who he has called me to be. Amen? Because like I said, that's the only way you're truly going to be fulfilled in your life. Amen? Getting to the place that God has created you to be. Amen? I like on one time, Miles Moreau, I was over at um, uh, Bethel. I was over at Bethel, matter of fact. Miles Moreau came there, and he said, um, when you're doing what God has called you to do, he says, like a French chef that's made patient. He's like, mwah, magnifique. When you're doing what you're called to. He said, you just had that magnifique. And that's how it is when we're doing what God has called us to do. So sometimes when we're walking through life, we always feel like, I just feel empty or I feel depressed or I don't feel energized. Maybe it's because you're not where God wants you to be on the wheel. Or maybe you're resisting how he's trying to make you. Or maybe you've been allowing yourself to submit to how somebody's trying to define you instead of yielding to what God is trying to do to you. So we need to listen to what God is saying and allow ourselves to get aligned with what he wants us to be. Amen? Hallelujah. Second Timothy 2, third, sec, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and, got, and prepared unto every good work. See, God wants to make you a good vessel, one of honor, amen, one that he can really use for his divine purposes. And there's nothing greater that we could do than to align ourselves with what God wanted to do in the original manufacture of our lives, amen. Hallelujah. Yielding to him is what he wants us to do. Or you can read this later, Psalm 139, 14 through 18. You know, this is something we should all have in our minds. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I mean, have you ever said that about yourself? You know? Have you really said, man, I'm wonderful. (laughs) I ain't talking about pride, but I'm just talking about like a a godly confidence. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen? With, With my toe hurting. And maybe my weight ain't exactly where it needs to be. And maybe I don't have that perfect hairstyle. And maybe I don't dress exactly how I need to dress. And maybe my teeth are a little bit crooked. But I am wonderfully and fearfully made. And, and, we say, and that my soul knoweth right well. See, that's a bold statement. I know, I'm, I know I look good. I know I'm pretty in God. And it's not the prideful thing where you're looking down at people, but it's just saying like, hey, I appreciate what God has done in me, even despite my imperfections. I love what God made me to be. Amen? Hallelujah. I love it. <laughs> verse 15 of that. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Verse 15 of that. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That word substance means an unformed mass that is as the embryo. The embryo. Just look at that. God's saying even when you were in the embryonic form that God was declaring you something that is special, wonderfully and fearfully made. Hallelujah. Thine eyes, in verse 16, did see my substance, yet being unperfect. Thine eyes, the eyes of the Lord, saw your substance. Amen? 
in the womb of your mother, even as an embryo. God saw your substance. And seeing it as unperfect, he started shaping different things. Now, this is going to blow your mind. almost forgot. Um, <clears throat> Thine eyes to see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. I'm crazy enough that I actually analyze this. <laughs> How precious are your thoughts towards me? How great is the sum of them? It says, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Now, God's saying his thoughts towards us are greater than the number that if I could count sand. Right? Y'all got that part? God's thoughts towards me, if I could count them, they would number more than the sand. So we imagine we were at the beach, right? Y'all going to the beach. <laughs> there are different varieties of sand, but if we use a medium-sized grain of sand as our basis, one grain of sand is between one-fiftieth and one-hundredth of an inch. So let's make it like right in the middle, one-seventy-fifth of an inch. So one grain of sand, one-seventy-fifth of an inch. If we take a square inch of sand, just an inch, one square inch of sand, and we don't stack it high, but we make it a flat square inch of sand, it's 4,500 grains. That's just one inch, one, one square 4,500 grains of sand. If we take a cubic inch, that's where you take like a dice. An inch square, elevated, an inch in every direction. A square inch. Now, you're talking slightly less than 600,000 grains. So, just if we could count the number of thoughts that God has us in the square inch, it's like 600,000. What if we counted all the grains in the entire beach? And it says that God's thoughts towards us are more than on the beach. God's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. <laughs> wow, don't that make you feel special and precious? See, people think about you. They might think about you the wrong way. Or people might be like, I don't even care about you. You don't mean nothing to me. But yet God, the creator of the universe, he says, it says that if you could count all the sand on the beach... And we already said that the sand in one cubic inch is over 600,000 grains. God says, I think about you more than all that. The, not, not all the sand, all the countable grains of that sand. I think about you more than that. So how could God, the potter, think of anything but an incredible life and in existence for you and I? Amen? Hallelujah. God's all that. Amen? He truly loves us. He, pre he treasures us. We are priceless to him. And we're going to close with one final verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are are eternal. Hallelujah. For which cause we faint not. 
we're not going to faint, are we? In other words, we're not going to get worn out. We're not going to get tired. We're not going to give up. Which cause we faint not. Our outward man, this flesh, perishes on a daily basis. We, we get older. Things start functioning a little off. Sometimes they stop working altogether. Amen? So our outward man perishes. But it says, even though your outward man is perishing, it does not have to be the same with your inward man. Your spirit, your emotions, your thoughts. Because it says here, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. But that's the part that's on us. God wants to keep remolding, reshaping, refining, reproving, and doing whatever it takes to get us to the things that he's envisioned for us on that wheel. Amen? Hallelujah. And we may go through different cycles of life, good and bad, but God is still declaring the end from the beginning of our lives, and he has something that he wants to bring out of us that is unique to us. Amen? If we allow ourselves to be renewed in our inward man day by day, even the afflictions that we deal with, we see that the afflictions are but for a moment. Sometimes it seems like this thing ain't never going to end. But God says in the perspective of eternity, not only is that huge thing a light thing, but it's a blinking or a wink of the eye. It just passes. It's like a vapor. Amen? And he tells us that even though we're going through something, he's basically permitted it because that very thing is really part of that shaping process, the molding and refining. And we say, see, it produces a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I'm going through some mess right now, but boy, wait till the glory comes out of it. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going through affliction right now and it seems heavy, but in comparison to eternity, it's nothing but a light affliction. And what God's going to bring out of it is incredible. And it says here, we, while we look not at the things which are seen, don't look at the things that are seen. This is just a temporary thing. This is just an earthly temporal thing. It's going to pass, good or bad. Amen? So even the good things are going to pass. But it says the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All the things that are going to come to pass that really, really mean things are in the spirit. Amen? They're not earthly, fleshly temporary things. There are things that will last. And as we see here, they're going to have eternal weight of glory. So praise God, amen, that we need to be clay, not just clay, but moldable, pliable, flexible, submissive, and yielding clay in the master's hand. And don't think just because something has cycled around and reared its ugly head again that you're necessarily in sin. It could be just that God couldn't strip that layer off before, amen? So as you come back around, he's like, okay, we're going in deeper this time, amen? If I did it last time, man, you would have ran for your life screaming. You would have turned from me. But now that you've matured, now that you've seen the salvation of the Lord in that previous circumstance, I could dig in a little, yep, I could dig in a little deeper because now you're ready for the stuff that you couldn't handle before, amen? And even though you're going through some hard times now, as you, as you have experienced things in the previous cycle and endured and overcome and now you're here, you can see that even though the squeezing and the molding might be difficult and I don't necessarily feel like I want to go through it right now, I still know that the same God that got me through the previous cycle will get me through to this, this cycle, the next cycle, the next cycle, the next cycle, the next cycle. Amen? Because he's a good God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you are precious in the sight of God, clay in the potter's hand, but let's all be flexible 
and pliable in the hands of our maker. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's get the Lord one more hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anybody needs prayer, feel free to come forward. I'm just going to do a, uh, a corporate prayer for all of us, though. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just praise and thank you, Father, for your people today, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, although we've gone through trials and tribulations, we just give you the glory and honor and praise, Father. Hallelujah, that you who have started a good work in us, and that's a good work, Hallelujah. We'll complete it. Amen. Hallelujah. According to your spirit, according to your mind, according to the destiny that you had ordained for our lives. And we just praise and thank you, Father, that we would um, just have peace and confidence in you during this time of season. We praise and thank you, Father, that no matter what we've been going through, whether it's the good side and the, or, or, or the downside, we just praise and thank you that through it all, one thing never changes, and that's your love for your people. So we just praise you, Father, for it. We adore you today. We thank you, Father, if we've allowed ourselves to lose sight of how much you love us, how much you protect us and provide for us. We just praise you right now, Father, that you would forgive us, Father, for taking our eyes off of you, for even as the song says, making you too small in my eyes. We just thank you right now, Father, that, Holly, you are our source, you are our strength, you are our peace. You are our comforter. Hallelujah. You are our provision. You are our strong tower. You are our fortress of strength. And we just praise you right now, Father, hallelujah, that you would give us, hallelujah, not only healing, mind, body, and spirit, Lord, but also you would quicken us. You would energize us spiritually, Lord, hallelujah, to walk in those things you called us to. We praise you, Father, that the enemy has tried to, to, to render the call in our lives null and void. Right now, we speak it back into existence today. And we ask you right now, Father, to get us back into alignment with those things that you ordained for us. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you, Lord, for your peace and your comfort. Hallelujah, to be upon us, Lord. We thank you right now, Father, to heal, hallelujah, broken hearts and broken spirits right now. And we thank you, Father, hallelujah, that that work will be fulfilled in us right now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.